I'm so thankful for our music program and for the talent that the Lord has left here uh, to, to worship and to lead, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 20, John chapter 20. Uh, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you may have looked at this passage in your Sunday school lesson. I know we did, um, but as I was studying it this week, the Lord put a few things on my heart, and I want to share with you out of here. I'm going to read uh, the first 18 verses, and of course, this deals with that day of resurrection, and I want you to focus, if you will, uh, for a few moments, uh, think about Mary, Mary Magdalene. And let's just think about her for a few moments. Beginning in chapter 20, uh, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and come, cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto him, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple came and came to the sepulcher. And so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying, yet he went, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen cloths lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that, she, that he had spoken these things unto her. I want to spend a few minutes this morning, something a little less conventional. I want you to comprehend first and foremost that the tomb is empty and the Lord is risen and that is a promise for you and I. But I want you to, I want you to, to think for a few moments about how she responded to that empty tomb. And as you think about how she responded to that, that empty tomb and I'm going to show you some things that I believe the scripture proposes, I want you to ask yourself, 
How will you respond to the empty tomb? How do you respond to the empty tomb? Easter is a, it's a special opportunity. There's no doubt about that. It's a special opportunity that's widely recognized to celebrate the risen Savior. But in honesty and in truthfulness and in sincerity, the church, uh, we celebrate him every Lord's Day. We celebrate every Sunday. Thus we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week. Resurrection Day. And we celebrate every Sunday. And, and that's the greatest way to begin the week in the Lord's house. But annually we set aside this day and a day of remembrance in which we focus more closely on the events surrounding Calvary and that blessed third day. But today I want us to imagine for a few minutes that we're Mary. That we are her. And for a few moments, view that day as she might have and consider the responses as we think, think of how we would respond or should respond to the empty tomb. I want to share a couple of startling truths with you before we go too far in this. And hear me out completely because you could get pushed back if you don't listen closely. But I want to share this with you without hesitation. The empty tomb is not figurative. It is literal. It's empty. There's no body in the tomb. And the effect of the empty tomb is not figurative. It is not allegorical. It is not parabolic. It is not symbolic. It is not exemplary. And it is not typological. It is none of those things. It is a literal, life-altering effect. The empty tomb, in and of itself is meaningless to us all. As is the old rugged cross, as is the bloody ground at the foot of the cross, those things are meaningless to us all. The, the tomb illustrates something, the cross illustrates something, but them in and of themselves, they are meaningless. That rugged cross actually displays the love of God because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for you and I and that cross was the method of death. The cross in of itself just two old rough hewn timbers. Without that love it is worthless to us. The bloody ground at the foot of the cross is nothing more than the result of the vicarious suffering and the vicarious sacrifice of Christ. That's what matters. Would he have not have, if he would not have died in your place and in my place, this day would be in vain and it would be meaningless. And the empty tomb displays a risen Savior. It doesn't matter where the tomb is. What, who owns the tomb, what's built around the tomb. It doesn't matter if it's a different tomb. None of that matters. What matters is that there stands in the history a risen Savior who died for your sins and rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He's the object of focus. So we think about this empty tomb, and it is impactful. For Peter and John, those two who ran to the tomb, uh, it states here that John believed. 
Peter would go back to his home and begin to study again. There was an impact for them, but it was different than that one on Mary. They were not the only ones to see the empty tomb that day, but the impact was different for others. And since that day, there have been 2,000 plus years of preachers and pastors and ministers and other born-again believers witnessing to the fact that that tomb is empty. The question is, how have you responded to the news that the tomb is empty? Uh, this, this world that we live in and much of our culture would love to entangle itself and embroil itself in comments and questions and, and uh, caveats and all of these other things that would distract from the simple truth that God became man in flesh as the person, Jesus Christ, lived a sinless, spotless life, endured the cross, despising the shame for you, as you, and in your place, was buried in a borrowed tomb, rose again on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and he left that empty tomb as a sign to you that you had a risen Savior. How are you going to respond to that? It's not about religion. It's not about denomination. It is how are you going to respond to that? The question that was asked of Pilate. What will you do with Christ? How are you going to respond to that? I think it's interesting as we look at Mary Magdalene because she is very much representative of us all. She was a redeemed sinner. It would say of her that she was the one possessed of seven spirits, seven demons. And you would say, well, I'm not that bad. Well, it doesn't matter. One's as bad as seven. Ten's as bad as twelve, right? If you're possessed of one evil one, it's bad, and you are. You're born that way. And so she's representative of us all, and we see her first response because as we shared this morning, she went there not expecting an empty tomb. Rather, she went there expecting a full tomb and was wondering how she would gain access to the tomb so that she could do right by the dead body of Christ. And when she gets there and discovers it, there's a reaction. Her first response to learning the tomb was empty, was explicit confusion. I want you to think about that. It doesn't say it in this passage, but she was not alone. There were some other ladies with her. And when she got there and noticed that the tomb was empty, she didn't look inside. She did not investigate. She didn't look for the gardener then. She didn't speak to the other ladies around her. She immediately, in, in explicit confusion, turned and ran back to those people that she thought could answer the question. There's no hesitation for her. There's no investigation. There's no delay. She runs directly to the disciples and informs them, hey, somebody has taken his body. That's exactly what she was informing them. She didn't ask any questions. She did not inquire. She simply ran and told others, and she did so in confusion. They've taken it. Where could they have taken it? Why would they have taken it? Where could they have put him? It was confusion. And I'm sure that she couldn't believe what she had seen. I think it's interesting because she never imagined that, and then when she gets there, there is nothing but confusion and uh, fear. And I think that's familiar territory for a lot of folks. 
I think that we can all remember a time in our lives when we were first, to ex when we were first exposed to the concept that there was a God, the actual creative God, who created you and yet loved you enough to die for you. I think there was probably a, a place of familiarity for us where we would remember the confusion, maybe even the chaos that would define our lives before we met the Savior, before we encountered that empty tomb. We, we know that she shares with them and they run and she obviously follows them back because in verse 11 she's back at the tomb. She's watching them, says she's there weeping, and we recognize that her second response to this uh, considering the empty tomb was an emotional concern. There was an overwhelming emotion that would play itself out in Mary in that moment. It doesn't say whether or not, I'm assuming that they did not, but it doesn't say anything about Peter and John weeping. It doesn't say anything about an overwhelming emotional response for them. There was an investigation. There was a notice of, hey, the cloths are here. They, why would they be here? They're separated. The body is gone. John immediately believed, and they would go back home. But there's Mary with this emotional concern. She follows them back there, and as she's looking at that tomb, there is a tearful response. She doesn't know what, but she knows that something has transpired. She can't determine what it is. She doesn't understand the gravity of it. She's still saddened by the death of this one that she calls Master, her Lord. This, she still desires to care for Him have you ever experienced that emotion in relation to the Savior? That when things changed from confusion to conviction, when things changed from I don't understand all that's taking place to whatever it is, it involves me and it was in part for me and, and on my behalf. And there's this emotional response, this, this overwhelming moment. Immediately, and, and of course, we, we realize that this all happened very quickly. We're kind of looking frame by frame. But you see in the latter portion of verse 11 that she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And she sees the two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet. And we see her third response is to contemplate that empty tomb. And the response was an explanatory conversation. I want you to put yourself in her place for a moment. You think about this, this idea. This, you've gone, you, you've gone to, to prepare this dead body. You get there. It's not there. The stones rolled back. You've run back. You've got help. They come. They leave. You're weeping, you're emotional, you're, you're confused, and you step into the tomb, and here are these two individuals seated on either side of the death shelf. And Mary is either the coolest individual to ever walk the face of the earth because her response is to begin having a conversation with them. 
And uh, they would say to her, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? There's also a picture, by the way, before we go there, of these two angels perched on either side of that shelf of death. If you're not familiar with the mercy seat of beaten gold that was placed upon the Ark of the Covenant in which was the Word of God, the bread of life, and the, the, the rod that shows us resurrection on top of that was the mercy seat where the Shekinah glory of God would dwell. And on either end, the cherubim with their wings outstretched facing one another, they're in honor and obedience to the Shekinah glory of God. And when she walks in, she sees this death shelf whereupon the sacrifice of God was laid for your sins and these two angels they're facing one another there's a gorgeous picture in that moment and Mary would would walk in there and and they would begin to converse with her and she carries on a conversation it's almost explanatory when when they say to her why are you weeping and who are you looking for I don't know about you, and, and I can't even rightly speak for myself, but my wife would have asked them who they were. <laughs> and what are you doing here? She, she just tells them, well, they've moved my Lord. There is this, this explanation that comes, and she's looking for the, bo the body and I wonder, has the Lord ever in your life sent someone along to encourage you? Or maybe you didn't know why they were there or where they came from, but they seemed intuitively aware of the circumstance and the situation. I had, struggled between Salvation and surrender for nearly 10 years. I had been as irreverent as one could be. As mean-spirited and hateful towards people knocking on my door as anybody could be. This particular night, afternoon, it was a Saturday afternoon. We had friends at the house. We were all getting ready to go out. We had babysitters to watch the kids because we would go out and do things that we couldn't take the kids to do. Me and my best friend were sitting on the porch, my best friend at the time, and we were laughing about all the things that we were going to do that night, all the things that we were going to get into, and all the things that we were going to be involved in. The entire time, I had this gnawing conviction in my heart that, Corey, you're not right. You're not living right. This is not right. And up comes the road, this big old car is about 30 feet long, he pulled in my driveway. And this old man walked up. I never met him before, never seen him. At that moment, I did not know who he was. And when he got out, he had a Bible in his hand. And I made a comment to my friend that wasn't very nice. And I was getting ready to just turn loose the tongue. And that old man walked about two-thirds of the way down my sidewalk. And he said, I don't know which one of you guys need to hear this. 
but the Lord loves you. And he sees you. And he knows what you're struggling with. And he turned around and walked off. Why? Why would he do that? I met him a little while later. He was a neighbor, evangelistically motivated, member of a local church. We became friends after the Lord got me straightened out. He wasn't well thought of in the neighborhood. Most people said he didn't have his right faculties. But he had his faculties that day. And the Lord sent him to speak to me. I thought about him as I was looking through this passage and I was thinking about Mary entering that tomb in that moment of, of emotion and that moment of confusion and that moment of concern and that moment of chaos. And there's those two messengers of God saying to her, the Lord knows. I wonder if there's ever been somebody in your life that God has sent to you. I wonder if there's ever been a moment when something occurred in your life and you wrote it off as an oddity and it was the Lord speaking to you. Now we see Mary leaving the tomb. Look at verse 14 and verse 15. She has her conversation. She turns to leave. And there's Jesus standing there, but she doesn't recognize. And we see her fourth response. And her fourth response when leaving the tomb was an expectant confrontation. She would see this individual. This is Jesus. She doesn't see him as Jesus. She sees him as a gardener. Here she is face to face with the one she's looking for. She doesn't recognize him as the one she's looking for. She makes a rather uh, untenable claim. If you just show me where he's at, I'll take him with me. She couldn't do that. Here, here she is in this moment, in this expectant confrontation, and she just, she just says to him, if you just show me what I need. And there's all kinds of speculation as to why she wouldn't recognize him. Some of them are, are quite frivolous. We had this conversation in class this morning. Do you know when she recognized him? She recognized him when he said her name. Isn't it interesting that uh, John tells us that uh, he is the great shepherd and his sheep know his voice. And when he spoke her name, she knew him. I'm so moved by the fact that that that's when it came to. Uh, it's like those uh, travelers on Emmaus, uh, to Emmaus, they, they, all of that conversation and all of that exposition of the scriptures, but when he broke bread, they knew him and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? And here we have this, this expectant confrontation and I think a lot of times in our path, there is that, there's confrontation. But what the Lord wants to do is bring you to him. But we see your final response in verse 17. She falls at his feet. I would call that enlightened conviction. 
Uh, when he spoke, she knew that's him. That's, that's the one. He's the one I'm looking for. That's my Lord. And she would throw herself at his feet and worship. He says there, uh, don't touch me. I think that's better rendered, don't hold me. Don't stop me. I'm, I've got a job to do. I'm not finished yet. But she would, she would fall at his feet and once she hears him, she knows him, and, and sometimes in this life, as we traverse, we do so much without thought, and inevitably, we're met with questions and confusion, and sometimes we can't see for looking. The old song says, you can't see the forest for the trees. I live that. I remember that. I remember looking for satisfaction and trying to find the answers to the problems in my life. And all along, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. This truth applies to both the born again and those who are yet to repent. Maybe you're the latter. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've never established a relationship with the Savior. Maybe you've been duped into believing by a non-believing world that intellectual assent is as good as belief and all you have to do is agree that there is a God and that God will take you into heaven someday. Maybe you've been duped into believing by the, by the world that you live in that there is no heaven and there is no hell and there is no judgment. But I'm here to tell you today that there, those things are. You are eternal. You have the breath of God and you're going to live somewhere forever. Either in the presence of a loving Savior or in outer darkness forever in the absence of God. That is what you are facing. And, and there is mostly in your life when it comes to these concepts of Christ and of a, forgive, a forgiver and of a Savior, there is mostly in your mind uh, confusion or concern or conversation or confrontation but you need him. You need to see him. You need to get your eyes off of all of the other world. It's not about what everything is showing you on social media or media in general. It's not about what the neighbors are saying. It's not about church membership. Though that is important, but it is about seeing him and knowing him and recognizing him and seeing him as the answer to your problems. When you experience him, all of these other things will become clear. The, the Bible tells us very clearly that if you repent and believe the gospel. Well, you know what repent means? You've heard it for a lot of your life. and I'm not here to argue with anybody. I'm just here to tell you the truth. You've heard for all your life about you repent from your sins. Quit your drinking and your drugging and your dancing and your running around. Quit all of that. Quit your lying and your thieving. Can I tell you something? You can't. No. You can't quit it. It's who you are. By nature. But what does repent mean? Repent means to turn. What are you turning from and what are you turning to? You are turning from the God of this world to 
the God of glory. You are turning from self to the Savior. You are saying, I am not God. I am not the master of my own destiny. I am not in control of my future. He is. I was put here for a reason, and that reason was to glorify him. And I'm going to turn from that belief, and I'm going to turn to the belief that he is the creator, and he is the savior, and I'm going to live for him and serve him with my every breath. That is repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, maybe today you say, well, that's not me. I am born again. I've done that. Well, are you faithful? Are you consistent? Or is this one of two big days a year for you? It's an honest question. It's not a hateful question. It's not even a condemning question. It's just an honest question. Well, maybe, maybe you've not been. Maybe there's something that's risen in your life, some sin that has come up that has created a breach between you and the Savior. Because the Bible speaks directly to that. It happens. There's an entire chapter in the book of Luke that talks about the prodigal son. And he was a son all along. But there was a breach between him and the father. And maybe that's where you find yourself. And, and seemingly, no matter how desperately you search for the Lord, you can't find him. Well, this is what we notice about Mary. Uh, she found him when she sought for him diligently. And I would say to you that before you leave this place today, if that applies to you, you've been born again. You know the time in your life when Christ saved you and came to live in your heart, but things are not the way they should be. 1 John 1, 9 is written to the believer. And it says, if we confess, that word is homologia, it means to agree. If we confess our sins, if we agree with God that our sins are as sinful as he says they are. He's right and we're wrong. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, thereby closing that breach. What do we see in Mary when she found Jesus, when she saw him face to face? The first thing she did was she welcomed the risen Savior, Master. She said to him. The second thing she did, she worshiped the risen Savior. She fell at his feet and worshiped. And the third thing she did was she witnessed unto others that the Savior was risen. Which response will you exhibit today? Will you say, well, maybe the, I'm confused? Well, pray. Ask God for clarity. You say, well, maybe I'm concerned. We'll pray and ask God for relief. Well, maybe it's conversation. Well, don't talk to me. Talk to the Lord. Pray. He can give you the answer that only he can give. Confrontation. We'll pray and ask for peace and understanding. Conviction. Repent and believe the gospel. And if you're a Christian this morning, you say, I've done all those things. Preacher, you're not talking to me. Well, let me ask you a question. Who are you going to tell that the Savior is risen? And when are you going to start? Would you stand with me this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed?
She's going to place a, an invitation. The altar's open this morning. I don't know your need. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're in need of salvation. And I'll tell you this. You don't have to come down here. If you are in need of conversation about your relationship with the Lord, if you'll step out in the aisle, I'll come to you and we'll go elsewhere. If you're here today and you say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm that one that's saved, but I'm not, I'm not serving. I've not been faithful. You work that out with the Lord. Just repent. Agree with Him. Maybe today you say, well, I'm, I'm right, Lord, uh, preacher, but I haven't been telling anybody. Well, come down here and ask the Lord to give you a burden for lost. Make today matter in your life. Father, I pray you bless this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Would you come this morning? There is a so much for being here today and I pray that as always we ask our people to leave meditating on the word that you heard today. Now you think about it and uh, pray about it. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you to all of our guests. We've got a lot of visitors in the house today. We're so excited to have you and thankful for you and uh, we uh, they will be doing the egg hunt so if you have children in the children's church um, or in the nursery and you want them to hunt eggs You'll exit the rear of the building, go through the pavilion, up the ramp, down the steps. That's there. That's where they're at. And, uh, and if you just want to watch, uh, you can go do that as well. Just don't be stealing an egg from anybody. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we'll, we'll dismiss and go that way. If you are a first-time visitor, uh, my wife and I will be standing here at the welcome desk. We've got a gift for you, and uh, we'd love to share with you a little truth. And uh, so you come by and see us, and we'll do that. Dr. Deems, uh, you're closest to me. Would you close us in prayer this morning, sir?